Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. into rates and barrels right here on the athletic oh it's the sultry tones of a correct microphone from the welsh that's me chris welsh with the right microphone selected and uh joining me today as always is the great enosaurus you can find him on twitter at enosaurus fresh off of uh like an overnight flight you told me you barely just got back in people don't understand this like you just got back in everything was delayed you are um, you are a man of baseball for being able to do this episode today, my friend. Yeah, it was an atmospheric river. Shout out to uh, Jude, who I spent about three or four hours with in the uh, airport bar. <laughs> and, okay, hi, uh, Jude. Steve, Steve Phillips uh, showed up for a couple of those hours, and uh, we had a, a couple of drinks together. So at least I had some good company, but, uh, uh, you know... <sighs> It was a rough, it was a rough ending to the trip. And uh, I have to tell you, uh, my parents ran hotels. And so I usually, you know, see the like tough part of running a hotel and like, you know, understand it's not an easy business. My mom still runs a hotel. Another shout out uh, to Ingrid and, and Jerome. Uh, at, uh, yeah, and Jerome at the uh, Ghost City Inn. Mention my name and maybe she'll give you a discount. Maybe. <laughs> we're into ghosts uh, me and my wife are into ghosts so we i need to go down there we need to go yeah. it's a quick little jaunt down to jerome for us we've never been actually yeah that's fun and um so uh, it was the worst hotel room i've ever had <laughs> now how did how does one room become the worst how did they lock that in well well uh, to begin with before i even got into the hotel room i couldn't open the door <laughs> And All right, that's a good start. And it's not because of the key card. It, the door had one hinge that was working. And so you basically had to lift it up off of the ground in order to open or close it. You, to, you kind of lift it up and put your shoulder into it. So every morning as I'm like bleary eyed, you know, trying to go get breakfast, like I had to be like, <laughs> I feel like I had a car like that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> all right. Uh, so once you get door. inside, uh, it, I felt like they sprayed four and nine on all the floors. So like if you took your socks off, it was like it's like gross, sticky. Yeah. All right, so I take my shoes off. By the way, if that's the, the case, but the, the, the 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 um, the air conditioner is broken and or it's stuck at like sixty two, uh, which is I like that. It's okay, but uh, they didn't give me any blankets, so I only had a sheet. So the first morning, the first night I was in there, I woke up at three a.m. And had to fashion a blanket out of the extra uh, towel that I had and the and the sheets off the other bed. So I like kind of made a blanket in the middle of the night so that I wouldn't freeze to death. So uh, then uh, 
the the shower, the water pressure, that's a common problem. It was like yeah, uh, a bad one. little drizzle on me. Uh, couldn't really get it warm either. The bathtub had been uh, rese- like re-lined, uh, but the lining wasn't holding. So basically, anytime you walked anywhere in the bathtub, it would like crinkled. It would be like crinkle, crinkle, crinkle. Like the, yeah, it was a bad bathtub. Um, smelled like mold. Um, mm. uh, couldn't uh, change the TV volume. Um, <laughs> what is going? This is comical at this point. What are you talking about? The cleaning, this is crazy. The cleaning lady threw away my toothpaste. Uh, and like cleaned it away. <laughs> <laughs> like I had toothpaste there and then I didn't, you know, I'm like, I'm not going crazy here. Like I had toothpaste here yesterday. <laughs> Welcome to Florida. Oh I my mean, God. What are we talking? That is, is there more? Uh, no, not really. I mean, it's, it's it, the smell was, it was bad. And I, you know, Florida generally it's things, it's hard for things to dry. So, you know, I had like generally smells <laughs> wet clothes from the beach at one point that just, just smell, it made the mold smell even worse. But that's, I mean, that's a pretty good combo, I think, you know? And breakfast was the kind of breakfast, they're like free breakfast. And the breakfast was the kind of breakfast where everything comes in, in plastic bags. Mm, like the little pastry, like the little pastry with the thing in the mm. middle, like the cheese in the middle, and so, like a little muffin in it. Oh, and this is the one of the maybe grossest part. And I actually ate one of these. Uh, so they did have eggs, but they were hard boiled eggs in some sort of weird, watery liquid. That oh, okay. in like a sleeve, it was like a sleeve of hard boiled eggs on. in like a liquid. And you are, and you are you a respected sandwich connoisseur. And <laughs> and I made I made a I made a breakfast sandwich with a white bagel that came out of a plastic bag and an egg that came out of this like watery sleeve. And you had to hold oh. it right, or else the water would spill everywhere. Like egg water would spill everywhere. <laughs> so you had to, what? I had to get an egg out of there, smush it on my bagel, and I was like, oh, this is pinky up. This is high living. I was imagining like Guy Frieri, like with the plastic knife, trying to like make an egg sandwich with the egg out of the sleeve. <laughs> I mean, I didn't buy that it was well, wait, wait. the worst hotel, but that might be the worst experience. Who's the, the yeller? The, the yeller. Yeah, but that's who I was going to say. I was thinking of uh, Gordon Ramsay. Gordon, Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, Gordon what yelling. is this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the guy from Bar Rescue. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I can't think of his name either. can't think of any of them. That's insane. So was there, uh, before we do oh. all the, the selling and the stuff, was there anything good on the trip? Besides oh, yeah. Uh, good uh, baseball? We did the episode from the Trop where my mic was off, but. It was amazing looking. What uh, what happened after? That was fun. Uh, talked to Tyler O'Neill. Uh, talked to Drew Rasmussen finally, um, and it was pretty good. We talked about how there's a difference between the sort of uh, pitch the, the 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 TrackMan numbers that you can get in practice and what happens in the game. And him and Kyle Crick were talking about how sometimes they get more movement in the game and they don't really know why. So they were talking about. Um, you know, trying to adjust for what they see in practice and what they actually see in game settings, um, which is super important for like player development and training and, and all that sort of stuff. Because we see all these, you know, these breathless videos from these these places in the in the off season, and then you know, like Matt Brash developed a cutter; it's amazing. He hasn't thrown one in spring, you know, that sort of deal. So, um, you know, the the relationship between the practice environment and the game environment. Um, I talked to Pete Fairbanks and I actually said the sentence, um, I think your stuff is too good for your body to handle. 
<laughs> How did he react to that? Yeah, that wasn't, uh, he was like, I hope not. And I was like, oh, why did I say that? <laughs> I can relate with that a little too much. Yeah, like, yeah. The stupid stuff that comes out of my mouth, especially when I've talked to players and I'm just like, meh, that yeah. ruined it. Yeah, That's right. <laughs> Good job, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's also a thing with players too that I've interviewed that um, Alec Bohm was one that I interviewed. It was one of the worst interviews I've ever done. And, uh, <laughs> it was, but it was also due to him, unfortunately. Like I've done some bad interviews. Um, a couple, one I didn't release with he's Curtis not, He's not super engaged. Nope. And uh, it was pretty well known that he's not super engaged, but at the end I had brought up uh, his time at, I think it's Wichita state. And he was playing with uh, his buddy, um, it was Grayson Janetta, I think his name is. And that perked him up. And my last two or three questions got him perked up. And I had this moment where I was like, man, why didn't I start here? Because before I was asking him about analytics and he's like, yeah. I don't do analytics in season. And he was not into anything I was talking about. And it's just like, man, could I have just warmed him up in the beginning? That mm. is such a better way, by the way, if you're ever talking to players, find a way to warm them up in the very beginning than just go in and hit the stuff that they really are going to try to find a way to athlete you you know where they're I like usually oh, try to, my best usually try to tell them they're top 10 in something find something they're top 10 in something yeah tell them they're good yeah yeah, yeah. Exactly. tell them how good exactly. they are first have you ever eaten an egg out of a water bag that's, <laughs> that's, <the next> <laughs> that's what so, we'll find out about so um uh who else i talked to oh oh um yankees camp was uh amazing actually it was amazing really? oh my god i had this Really great discussion with Clay Holmes. I have to figure out how I'm going to write it. And he had a really important uh, question. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll reveal it a little bit here on the podcast. It's fun. Um, okay, yeah, because I was about because I'm interested in Clay Holmes because they're putting him in more of that leverage situation, which has made me move off of him. Uh, but I'm yeah, oh, I'm curious. really. Well, they talked about that they might take him out uh, in more of a leverage, like an eighth inning type of role. And then uh, who finishes the when, game? Yeah, well, that's the thing that like fire. Why is he like, or it, King? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. All right, so but go ahead. I I it was interrupting. Um. Oh oh oh. So uh, we were talking just uh, generally about seam shifted wake and you know how his uh his sinker to benefits from seam shifted wake and and so I had sensed that we were having a good enough discussion that I was kind of like so uh, what's the plan against lefties this year. <laughs> because last year he was like a one pitch pitcher against lefties and he immediately started laughing he's like what you mean one pitch all year won't work <laughs> and I, I was like Wah. he's like well here's a, a revelation that uh, I don't think many people know is uh, he was actually throwing a sweeper and a gyro slider last year so mm. if you classify those together they, the movement uh, kind of groups together and makes it le look like not as good, which is amazing because he still had great stuff numbers. But, um, you know, he has two sliders. So he was talking about, you know, maybe using the gyro slider a little bit more against lefties because the sweeper does have platoon splits. Um, and so, you know, he did have a plan. But then he was like, he's like, well, maybe you could research this for me. Oh. And he said, what if my plan would work what if one pitch would work <laughs> like, i was like well, like no, mariano no, 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 knew. no he meant like specifically like you know lefty like righties are told not to throw sinkers to lefties anymore and the everything that lefties see now in the game is up and in up 
So they see lefties from righties see four seamers up, four seamers up and in, cutters up, cutters up and in. And uh, so, you know, every lefty right now is trying to figure out, like I just had a long conversation with Kyle Schwarber about how when he came up, he couldn't do anything on the high pitch and pitchers just kept feeding him that and feeding him that until he figured out what to do on the high pitch, you know? And so uh, I think lefties now don't see the sinker loan away. And specifically, Clay Holmes, the sinker, like comes from a high arm slot and has, uh, you know, deceptive movement. So it's a really good one. Um, I think it might be the best in, in Stuff Plus. But it's interesting to think, like, you know, we had we heard from Chris Langan on Friday's pod that hitters are uh, getting better at the sweeper um, as the every year goes by. And uh, that suggests that they're they're trying to figure out this new pitch. Well, you know, this the righty sinker to a lefty is an old pitch. It's an old pitch that people don't see as much anymore. So maybe it's it can come back in vogue. So I I'm gonna maybe look at um, something for him where I look at platoon splits on pitches over time. Interesting. And see if like righties. You know, righties are maybe maybe lefties are getting better at four seamers from righties and worse at sinkers from righties because they see more four seamers. What would be the pitch too? What would be like the um, what would be the one pitch that you could rock if you were like if one guy like if he's saying you can live with one pitch? Is it more of a sinker? Is it a cutter? Like what what would what's the most efficient of any of those? Do you think? Well, I mean, we have some one pitch slider guys like Matt Whistler. I mean, he's not. What your definition of one pitch is, we can get into semantics, but you know what I mean? Yeah. He's like a 70%, 80% slider guy. Um, and I think that's possible. I wrote a little bit about that in how the game is becoming a slider league and how, um, you know, maybe the guys who throw a ton of sliders, it's because they can manipulate the shape. You know, Whistler and Griffin Jacks told me they do have like slightly different shapes. If you think about it, the breaking ball breaks differently to different parts of the zone. If you're throwing it arm side, it kind of, you know, can have like more of a one plane shape. And then if you hold on to it longer and throw a glove side, it has more of a two plane shape, you know? And so, um, you know, Madison Bumgarner told me that sometimes he could manipulate that by changing where he landing foot is. So he was more cross body in certain situations, which I think was crazy. But um, other pitchers have said that that's sometimes possible. But uh, my answer would be slider or cutter because they're manipulatable and you could actually sort of make two pitches out of it or maybe even three where you kind of manipulate how big the break is. For example, if you threw a cutter a bunch, and I think Holmes was suggesting that this is true of Mariano, but I don't remember this necessarily from watching, that Mariano could change the shape on his cutter. Do you think So you they're... could have like basically a, like a little baby slider versus a cut yeah. fastball. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you think that that is possible with a starting pitcher? And I'm specifically, obviously they can't have one pitch, but like one pitch versus, is it the same thing necessarily apply? Because it seems very reliever-ish. Do you think a starter can get through a game with having like one pitch to, you know, let's just say lefties? Oh, right. There are, there are starters that have weird uh, platoon splits on their pitches where they just, you know, they only use kind of like one or two pitches against one side. Or like there are some four pitch pitchers that like throw two pitches to one side, two pitches to the other side, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I I think generally it's tough. I also talked to Chris Bassett in length about the fact that he has eight pitch types. He said he has two changeups, so he has actually eight pitch types. Uh, And you know the hidden value there on a team level, not necessarily a fantasy level, on a team level is that he goes deeper into games. That's pretty much shown by the numbers that the more pitches you have, the deeper you go into games. Uh, he saves the bullpen. And if you have a few of those guys, you might be more likely to have a healthy bullpen in October. Think mm-hmm. about the the Rays and how hard they push their relievers all year and how often it seems they are scrambling to put together a healthy bullpen in October. That's fascinating. All of it is fascinating because... I'm also thinking of this from uh, Kumar Rocker was what came to mind. If you uh, want, to, we don't talk about prospects, but you know Kumar has just uh, one of the best slide. It's still one of the best sliders I've seen, and he can have it dip, and he can have it come in, and he can command it. But he doesn't really have another pitch right now, and I just wonder if you say a slider cutter is the best singular pitch, is that something he can get away with, or is that going to be a prelude to him just <laughs> being a reliever, being a dominant reliever? I don't know. It's I think a lot of the overachievers in baseball, a lot of the great agers, if you think about Charlie Morton, Adam Wainwright, like, you know, a lot of the kind of outliers in baseball as in starting pitching having a have an elite breaking ball. And yeah. there's so much I think you can do with an elite breaking ball because elite breaking balls, you can often throw them in the zone. If you can throw them in the zone for strikes and for whiffs then it's really hard. You can build stuff off of that, right? Now you can throw your four seam, which isn't that great. Let's say your four seam isn't that great. Maybe Kumar's, yeah, Kumar's can't control it. But instead of worrying about controlling it in the zone, the the four seam, he can just basically spray it high. And if they're always looking for the, if he can throw some high sliders, that'll set up a high fastball that's not even in the zone, right? Yeah, that's what he, that's what he wants. To, I think he wants to do that and he just hasn't, not to make this a prospect thing, but right. it's just interesting my connection with that because also uh, Bryce Miller with the Seattle Mariners I talked to is doing the same uh, sweeper gyro thing as well as uh, Clay Holmes. So it's, it's just very interesting. So like sweeper these, gyro sinker? That, yeah, that one, that's his attempt right now. I don't know if he's throwing a sinker. I think it's a high fastball and I think he's got a change up as well. But he told me that he altered his slider to now a sweeper and then that one he feels he can control, but he's also added a gyro slider that he's implemented. Oh, usually, usually well people control. find they can control the gyro better because the gyro is like kind of like a bullet. So it's just like the less movement you have. There's some there's some research on this that the less movement your pitch has, the more you can command it. Unless you're Corey Kluber somehow, but yeah, you know like everybody everybody else is like you know oh this is easier than this kind of sweeper thing. 
Yeah. So, okay. Besides the hotel, it sounds like it was a pretty fascinating trip of a lot of good conversation around a lot of guys and some good articles that are going to be out there as well. So make sure you guys are locked into it, which you can be at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. You guys can sign up $2 a month. Why would you not? You can get all of this great content. You can get the dynasty ranks that I've got and the draft kit, which is available. And wouldn't you know it, we actually are going to talk about some draft-based stuff today. Oh, uh, I had that a real, I, real quick thing about sweepers sure. since we were just talking about it. Uh, let me Let's run down a quick, quick list of uh, relevant pitchers who've added a sweeper. So now we've learned okay. that Clay Holmes has a sweeper, right? Okay. Alex Cobb is throwing an A7 mile-hour sleeper, sweeper. He's never had a really good slider. If he has a really good slider, I don't know. 87, you said? Yeah, 87 is also okay. really hard for a slider. Yeah, I'm about to say, that you're getting into like power slider type of stuff. Yeah, so and for that much movement at 87, that's really uh, stands out for me. Brad Keller is throwing a sweeper. Um, okay. I, I learned that Brady Singer has a new changeup grip and he's a, a bit of a stuff plus serger uh, this spring. Um, and uh, been nice to see that in the WBC. But Jameson yeah. Tyon is throwing a sweeper. Okay. Clark Schmidt. Clark Schmidt is throwing a cutter. And uh and I was joking about throwing a cutter and a sweeper at the same time. And that uh and he was like, Oh yeah, Jameson Tyon just keeps texting me pictures of his sweeper. It's like videos of his sweeper. He's <laughs> very proud of it. <laughs> so those are all I hate to be like a, a trendy biatch, but uh those are all like uh much more interesting all of a sudden to me. Because and first the- of all, sliders are great. Sweepers perform really well, and these are new sliders on pitchers. You know, like that—that that makes me think. That makes me like listen. You know, even if you just told me Alex Cobb has a new slider, I'd be interested. You know, so are those quantifiable things that will make you push guys? Because like Clark Schmidt got a lot of run. I heard from a lot of people after the last episode. They're like, oh. I can't secretly hide Clark Schmidt anymore that, you know, when you were talking about moving him up into, I think it was like the mid fifties or sixties or something like that. Are these the type of like intangibles? I mean, it's very tangible of like them adding a pitch. This is the type of thing that's going to get you well, probably snagging them in drafts. The way that it's not tangible is that it's hard for me to put this into the projections. Maybe next year or uh, maybe in season, I'll work with Jordan on um, including somehow last 400 stuff plus to capture some changes like this. You know, uh, we had found uh, that the last 400 pitches of stuff plus is sometimes more predictive than the full season uh, because of pitch mix changes like this. So maybe we'll, we'll be able to input that. But right now it's not in the projections. So. What, what you're going to see is my subjective rankings will push guys a little harder than their projections say. Right now I have Joe Ryan 42, and he's got the highest projected ERA uh, in the top 42, in the top, uh, you know, actually in the top 50. He's, you know, 55, 60. Yeah, he's got the highest. Oh, and guess who has the second highest in the top 60 is Jameson Tyon, who I pushed to 56, you know? Uh, so Joe Ryan has a sweeper. He's 42. James, Jameson Tyon has a sweeper. He's 56. I was already pretty uh, in on Alex Cobb, so I didn't want to push him any further. He's at 53. John Gray throws a sweeper and a gyro, and he's at 52. So, you know, I have uh, baked this into my rankings update to a certain point. And rankings update on the side. Mitch Keller has a new sweeper. He's at 76. I'm the high man on Mitch Keller. And then Brad Keller surged all the way to 173 i mean i could be i could maybe push him up a little bit more I, i'm doing this on the on the 
Instant update. Instant update. I'm pushing Brad Keller all the way to 132. <laughs> Breaking news. <laughs> of those players you were just talking about, I think you might have already answered it. Who? I don't think it ADP or like rank has to necessarily dictate your aggressiveness. But I mean, obviously it would for like you have this guy the highest. Who is the guy with all those changes that you are making sure you're locking? And I want to say you might have had Cobb higher than Tyone. But who is who's your most aggressive of all of these big pitch mix changes that you want to make sure you're locking in on all your rosters? Is it Holmes? Is it Tyone? Is it Cobb? I have I've actually uh, I've had Tyon. I have a, f- a fair amount of shares of Tyon. I have him in TGFBI. I have him in a couple of drafting holes. And one of the reasons I liked him was I thought not necessarily I could count him from like 180 innings, but I thought I could count on him for a, a few innings. He's in the rotation to start and he's pretty cheap. So that was already, you know, pretty interesting to me. And then this news uh, sort of cemented the fact that uh, I'm, I'm more interested in him. So that's, that's a, that's a good combo. Clark Schmidt was somebody I was already in on. And then, uh, but the only reason I would like sort of hesitate a little bit is that I thought he was a six starter. Now he's in the rotation because they have two, <laughs> two spots in the rotation that are open to begin a season. So, uh, uh, that gives him uh, that gives him some runway to outperform Domingo Herman and stay in the rotation. So really, you know, my number next to him in terms of innings reflects the fact that you know he could go back down one thirty five, but he could get he could get more than that maybe. I mean, it's uh, it all depends on the health of the guys around him and if he outperforms Domingo Herman. So. I feel like Cobb would be the guy I'm really interested. Like, I love the idea of this, like, power, like a power slider, power sweeper. The Giants also have such a good track record of just fixing these type of players and just, you know, pushing really good improvements and solid, insane numbers. That I feel like that would be the one that I jump in on that I would want to push Cobb up. I'm a little indifferent about Tyone. I'm a little bit indifferent about, like, Clay Holmes. Clark Schmidt, I think, is fine. I'm a little bit worried, I guess, about the theoretical limited innings if his spot is taken away. Cobb seems like someone I would move up a little bit with those changes, but you guys can see uh, everything of what he knows got over at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. If you guys have signed up, if you're already signed up, good to go on the app. You get everything hooked up. You know, we're talking about draft stuff here, and that is actually what uh, we've got as some notes for today. NFBC drafts are the high dollar ones are kind of an always good marker. I would always as well, like caution people a little bit because there's a little bit bigger risks that are taken. Catchers get pushed up. Uh, saves can get pushed up in those when you're paying attention to their ADPs. But it is always fun to track and see what the biggest differences are. So I put together a list. I got two lists. I don't know if we'll get to both of them. This first list I thought was a little bit, um, a little bit more fun to yap about here. I looked at the top 100 on NFBC since March 1st draft champion. So March 1st. You know, let's make that our marker here. It's about two weeks. I believe there was in draft champions, 14 drafts that have taken place since March 1st. And I decided to pull apart the craziest men picks in the top 100. And what that means is the highest that any player has gone. And um, these ones really stood out to me. So I just wanted to chat with you about them. And if we get to the next section, fantastic, because it's a little bit different here. And uh, again, these are going to be the highest a guy has gone draft champions on NFBC since March 1st. This was a little bit of a surprise to me. And you tell me if you feel different. There were only three players since March 1st in these that have gone first overall. 
And that was the shock to me that it was only three because I feel like there's a five or six window. And there's one player that's missing out of here that really stood out. Jose Ramirez is not on this list. Aaron Judge, Ronald Acuna, and Trey Turner were the only three during this time period, you know, that went number one overall. Now, we don't have to, you know, go nuts. Ooh, blah, blah, blah. Weird things can happen. But no Jose Ramirez, no Julio Rodriguez. I feel like as March came in, things are honing in a little bit, and that looks like the consensus top three. What do you think about that? Yeah, it is funny how a consensus forms over time. Uh, you know, call it group thing, call it whatever you like. But, um, you know, the, the first round is not for risk-taking. And so you'll see that people will sort of come to a consensus fairly quickly. And, you know, there's now the, there's a couple like sort of publicly available places to create auction value that, um, you know, more and more people are looking at. And, you know, for example, if you do the bad X for 15 teams um, over in the auction calculator, you get uh, judge Acuna, and then Vlad Guerrero Jr., which is, uh, you know, he's been hurt, mm. and it's also maybe an outlier uh, co- you know, when you compare to other systems. But you're right. Jose Ramirez is uh, fourth there. Um, and who did you say the, the, the three were? Trey Turner? Yeah, Trey Turner was the third that went number one. Those are the only and three the in that time says period. Twelfth. Um, and, uh, I think that maybe the Turner love has to do with the stolen base rules and some anticipation perhaps of more stolen bases this season, this season. But for me, uh, I would be very happy to sneak out with a fourth place pick of Jose Ramirez. Like, uh, he's a guy who pulls the ball a ton. He steals bases, uh, lefty who pulls the ball a ton, should see some shift benefit. Uh, he steals bases and he plays third base, which has been proven like stinks. Like, like how cool would it be to get one of the best third base in the game and also get 20 steals? You know what I mean? Like yeah. you could remove the 20 steals and he'd still be uh, like a back end, you know, uh, maybe a start of the second round guy. Like, right there with like Devers or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, you put the steals back in, you're like, this guy should maybe go in the top three. So that's, that's the name that sticks out for me for sure. Also low key. We just mentioned that exact thing. You could almost implant to Bobby Witt jr. I know Bobby Witt in everywhere, but NFBC is really falling 17, 18 ADP, but in NFBC, he's got a top 10 ADP and it's kind of exactly what you said. There's a little bit more volatility and like, will he consistently, will he hit the contact that, you know, like we know we also have a track record like, from Jose Ramirez, you know, sort of, uh, you know, I think it makes me nervous anytime. And this is a, a bit of a bias, but I think it's one that served me well, which is just like, uh, you know, guys who are projected for a sub 300 OBP or like a 300 OBP basically, um, make me nervous and you you have to do so much right and i mean he could be the kind who does so much right right you have to make a lot of contact be good defensively power speed looks like he has all that but it still makes me nervous in terms of you'll still maybe see an effect when it comes to runs and rbi because a guy like jose ramirez is just going to get on base more often and score more runs because of it so this one jumped out to me uh, as a very, very interesting one, the number one pitcher with the highest men, not counting Otani, uh, but the number one true pitcher, Spencer Strider, had the highest individual pick of any single pitcher in NFBC drafts during this time of nine. 
that one uh, stood out like a sore thumb. I am definitely a, a Spencer Strider guy, but what say you, Eno? He was the guy, the guy here as far as uh, pitchers go that went uh, higher than anybody else, and that was just that really not what I was expecting. I've got 11 pitchers projected for a sub-3 ERA with the PPERA system. And two of them are Carlos Rodon and another player that we'll talk about maybe in a, in a second. So those guys are uh, hurt, currently hurt. Uh, one of them is Jacob DeGrom, uh, who actually is the only pitcher we have uh, projected for, a uh, starting pitcher we have projected for a sub-2 PPERA, uh, but has maybe a more aggressive health risk than anybody in the top, you know, 30, you know. And by the way, he's throwing on Monday uh, against the AA Royals at the start of minor league spring training. Oh my God. And I, I'm going. I'm going over there. Yeah, it's some, I was talking with someone. some of the worst swings in the history of baseball? <laughs> I was talking with someone about, I've said, yeah, I'm going over to Rangers camp and I'm going to watch that. And they were just like, I feel so bad for those oh AA kids. And I'm like, I know, it's going to be brutal. He, he's going to mow them oh down. He's going to look amazing. And those poor 20-year-old guys are just going to be swinging for their life. You know, they get high fives back in the dugout if they foul a ball. <laughs> hundred percent, hundred percent. But um, you know, so Strider, you know, absolutely belongs in the top ten. I think no matter how you look at it, I don't, I don't see how you can push him out of the top ten. Top he, ten SP, you're saying? Yeah, and then, yeah. but he went actually, and I was wrong. Six overall was his thing. It wasn't nine. It was six overall, the highest of any single pitcher. Well, I think all the other pitchers. You know, I think if there's anybody that could be Jacob Degrom. Other than Jacob DeGrom, it's Spencer Strider. And he set the rookie strikeout rate record last year. He's projected for a 36% strikeout rate. DeGrom's projected for a 39% strikeout rate. And nobody else is projected for more than a 33% strikeout. Oh, Garrett Cole's at 34. But that's that's like, it is still pretty intense to be like two percentage points ahead of Garrett Cole, who's like the steadiest, eddiest ace in the world. So... You know, uh, Spencer Strider. I think the I think the bet here is that maybe we just haven't really heard any bad news uh, in terms of uh, in terms of health, and so people are like, mm, "Could he? Could he do 160 innings? Could he do 170 innings?" Um, you know, he's uh, he he doesn't have a ton of innings in his history, but he you know he kind of went from 90 to 135 last year, um, and. Uh, what does that include postseason? 137. So, I mean, if you do that kind of jump again, you could get to 160. Now, if you got 160 innings of anything like he did last year, uh, it could be the best pitcher in baseball, best starting pitcher in baseball. So, um, I, I get the bet, and I think the bet is basically um, if if Jacob Degrom is worth taking in the first round because if he's healthy, he's that good. Then Spencer Strider is almost as good, and the only other pitcher I think that could be like Jacob DeGrom and has better health outcomes. So that's the, I think that's the thinking with people. Yeah. And obviously I would acknowledge to anybody like there can always be one outlier in a draft or something that takes one guy higher and that is going to push this, but, but you had a nine uh, there before. So that means there's a nine and a six. I mean, there's people doing this a hundred percent. Yeah. And, and either way, I think it's the names are fascinating. Cause I took out at one time, I actually did this with all of the drafts and I was just like, let's not do that because like Oscar Colas one time went like 22 to somebody and everything just like crazy stuff. Yeah, The high money it, drafts are, you know, there's, yeah, you usually don't have as many crazy outliers. 
Exactly. And that's why we went to draft champions to kind of take out a little bit of the volatility. This one might not be as crazy because I am designating this list as like the crazy high pick players uh, on NFBC during this time. But it just stood out to me. Fernando Tatis Jr. had a 12 on him. And that stood out. His ADP is 18. His range is 12 to 24, but essentially pushed into the first round. He has had a really bad spring. He then got banged up a little bit, but he's back in as a DH today, not playing in the field. So getting a little bit banged up, bad spring, both playing a role in, I think, some people's thought process, but not here because he's going 12 overall and uh, he's gotten bigger physically. Arms look a little bit bigger and maybe that's, you know, the rust of the game is still a little bit behind him leading to some of the spring stuff. But Fernando Tatis at 12, do you think that takes off like all of the real true upside and is taking on way more risk than is worthwhile as a first, like your first pick being Fernando Tatis Jr. missing 20-ish games or whatever. I do think that's too aggressive because, you know, a sober look at this would say, uh, you know, just the auction calculator on Fangraphs, uh, 14th best hitter. Now that's not including, you know, Burns, Cole, Strider, which I think the top three pitchers should be included by the time you get to the 14th best hitter. So, Basically, uh, Tatis is a back-end top 20 guy. And that's uh, on a projection of uh, 500 uh, plate appearance with, with 34 homers and 25 stolen bases and a 282 average. The, in this case, the system not knowing the injuries, I think, is actually a negative. Sometimes we talk about, oh, you know, he played through injury, he got it fixed, and he's going to be better. In this case, we we had a we had a surgery that has really affected other people's play in the past. This is maybe one of the worst surgeries for a hitter to have in terms of power outcomes later and how long it takes to recover and all that stuff. So, in this case, I would look at that projection and say, "Well, that's a little bit rosy glasses." You know, yeah. like wouldn't you wouldn't you look at this and be like, "Oh, really? You think Tatis is going to come off of two surgeries of which uh a writer on our site was talking that the wrist surgery was actually more of a problem because they put they put uh, pins in it. We had a whole I, thing I saw, with Carlos Correa and pins this whole offseason. You know, like people are deathly afraid of pins and he has one in his wrist. I, I cited this uh, from an article I read a little just not too long ago, but Devin Messerocco was interviewed about this and he went through a very similar injury. And he's like, he said he would be shocked because he was never the same. He would be shocked. In one way, if he was able to return to form right away, the other was he said his was more longstanding, um, like over time than it was like a singular yeah, moment. Man, like so maybe that's going to be different. Thing, yeah. yeah, but he was uh, he was not optimistic that, you know, it was going to come right away because it affected the rest of his career. And I, I love Fernando Tatis Jr., I love looking. The projections are hilarious to look at. The bat That's X. That's what I'm I saying. Like it's, it. it's 34, so 25, and 115 games is the bat X. <laughs> uh, or I'm sorry. Yeah, 34, 25, 282 average. ATC's got him hitting 277 with 30 homers, 21 stolen bases. Those are great numbers. It seems like there's so much like volatility. For him to be at 12, that stood out to me. It's yeah. like, I don't know if I would want to take on that risk. This might be a little bit more of an NFBC thing. Now it gets really interesting. Some we people play for the list. like the overall where they're like yeah, YOLO, exactly. you know, if, if I'm, you know, I think I even talked to somebody who went Tatis uh, de Grom, you know, I, I mean, I love that. Second. I went yeah. YOLO and TGFBI this year. I decided to play that a little bit. I went, 
a little bit YOLO to see what happens. And I do have Tatis on that roster, by the way. So oh, there I you also go. have, I also have Alvarez. I took Jordan Alvarez with my first pick because he fell, and but Tatis I think that's going to work out for me. And Tatis was my second. Wow. So I, took on, I took on all of that risk. Wee! I know it was absurd. Well, I also have, uh, you want to hear the Dang, other one? First, you're last. I took O'Neill Cruz as well. So oh, I just lovely. went like, I told you, I told you it was YOLO. Yeah. Uh, but the other guy that I took on that same draft is probably the most fascinating of all of this on this list. He just signed a eight-year, $111 million contract extension. Corbin Carroll, who has been rocketing up boards. I will tell you, his ADP since oh. March 1st on Draft Champions is 54 with a high of 40. So what say you, Corbin Carroll, with a 40 high pick in these drafts? I mean, that is a third-round pick in a 15-team roto. You know, I think uh, we talked, we've talked about Corbin Carroll a lot. And so I don't know if we want to just like relitigate a lot of the stuff we talked about. But one of the things we liked is the high uh, end uh, speed, the high end speed, the, the stolen bases that are going to be there. We like those things. But, um, you know, I, I saw some pushback on anybody that's sort of looking at his barrel rate and his max EV from last year and saying he didn't really have that power. And I think. Even we were, uh, I think, fair to him saying it's hard to fake a 330 ISO, you know, no matter what's yeah. going on in the park or with your exit velos. I would say that for a first attempt at the league leagues, a 5.5% barrel rate and a 107.5 max EV is not something that I would write in stone. It was only 115 plate appearances. And the last thing is max EV is usually something that you don't use to say, they're bad, you usually use it to say they're good. And that's, it's a distinction. It's a weird one, but basically uh, it's an important event when you hit something really hard, but not hitting it might just mean you just didn't get to that moment that, you know, you just didn't get enough chances, you know? So it's not something that I would hold against somebody as much as something I would say, oh, you know, like I heard uh, there's this prospect uh, Plaz in the Pirates system. There's a, like a, 17 year old or something he's like a 17 18 year old catcher or something uh i heard he was putting up 117s in uh in the Whoa. dsl maybe so, i need to know okay. yeah so see that's what that's what it's more like rather than like yeah. you know oh corbin carroll had 107.5 so i think people are looking at that contract he's in the news uh the contract extension he just signed he's in the news and there's been debate about his power and i think the upside for him is Okay, I'm gonna bank 25 to 30 steals here. I think I believe in that. Even the projections say 20. I'm gonna I'm gonna yep. bank 30 steals. And what if he adds 25, 30 homers? Like he has that capability, you know. Yeah. And the projections are, you know, the projections that say he's a decent, uh, you know, back end top 100 pick. Um, I think are saying that, um, you know, he's gonna hit 15. But what if he hits 30? You know. So I think that's but, that's a big part of what people are thinking about. And and the thing I would add is like my argument has been if he hits 15 and he steals 30, he's going to return your value like that. That's the goofy thing. Like even if you're going at I mean, 40 is a bit high, but regardless of the point, I have him in the 50s. You take him around 50 and he's a 15, 30 guy. He's going to return his value. The, the contract extension. Also, what I like about it is it 
provides a little bit more commitment to the team that this isn't going to be a Jared Kelnick situation. Well, anything could, but you know, where it's like, Probably they bring him up, up he struggles. Down. Yeah. Yeah. Up and down as well. It, this is consistency. No they believe in it. No, like playing around this playing time. Give him a bigger contract than Michael Harris got. And, yeah. and his rookie of the year. Stick him in center and just be like, that's our guy. And, and stick him at hopefully the top three spot, one, yeah. two or three, he's going to be hitting. And I think that pushes it. And that's why he moves up. Uh, the last two, this one stood out as a, anomaly to me i guess but andres jimenez andres jimenez showed up at 46 on a high and i wondered if that had to do with trying to get stolen bases out of the second base spot if maybe the other guys had already gone but andres jimenez at 46 you know probably says someone's taking him over tommy edmund at this point like you could justify the other four big second basemen went but this would probably say someone has andres jimenez at five and that was another one of those that stood out. He has an ADP of 80 in here, and he has a pretty big range, by the way. His low is 101, but a high of 46. I don't know where you are on Andres Jimenez. Um, I got him at 82 in uh, TGFBI. So that's on the lower end of the... Uh, that's on the later end, right? Just like in the bottom end, yeah. His overall ADP is 80 so far. So, so I got, got like him right around ADP, yeah. And I, yeah. And I enjoyed it. I think that what happens is there's a little bit of draft dynamics here. If you go, if you're drafting late in the first round, what I've noticed is that a lot of the guys late in the first round that are there don't steal bases. And so there is a way to get out in the first round. Like, for example, my TGFBI start was Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Mike Trout. I love it. I think it's going to have a real high batting average and a ton of power, but I make it out of there with 10 steals, you know, or Maybe less, maybe seven or eight, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, And uh, so I was chasing steals. And I think there's some builds where you come out chasing steals. And Andres Jimenez is like a top 5% uh, sprint speed guy that stole 20 bases last year on a team that stole, what is it? I, I should be precise, you know? I should say the actual number and not just be like top five or whatever it is. Cleveland stole the third most bases in baseball last year. The rules are changing to become more uh, nice to stolen base people. And uh, that's part of how that's part of their identity. So you could easily see Andres Jimenez stealing more. And also it seems like a real bankable 20 at the very least, you know? And so uh, I think it's about team build where the people that got that went maybe Vlad Trout starting pitcher reliever in the fifth are like, uh, and you're saying earlier than the fifth. What's the early? Well, I'm saying like, yeah, 46 would be like the beginning the third, of the fourth, fourth round. Yeah. yeah the, but also like it had to be over like Tommy Edmond, who's another one of those guys. Like Tommy Edmond and Andres Jimenez are kind of similar-ish player. I just thought it was fascinating if he's I had Edmond on the board and lost him and maybe did a different pick and then went to Jimenez like in the next round. So I, I let him drop to the fifth, but I was looking at him versus Edmond and I, I could see how... I, I, there's maybe a little bit of a panic, uh, a little bit of a panic aspect to that too, yeah. where it's like I had Edmund circled as getting me the, you know, 20, 30 steals out of the MI slot. And I need that for this build. And he just went. And then they, and so it's like, sort, I got to get my guy. sort by stone bases, middle infield. Oh, Jimenez. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and second like base you know, is not a great position. Yeah. So. It's not a great position, but also uh, interesting was hanging. I was hanging out with, um, with Garrett Cole, and uh, we were watching uh, some WBC in the in the in the in the clubhouse, and 
really kind of out of nowhere. He was like, Andres Jimenez, good player. <laughs> just, like, just, uh, just on Garrett Cole stamp of approval. Yeah. Okay. So, we'll take that. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's interesting because the, the bad ball stats aren't very good, but I think sometimes like, what do you want out of him? Like we're not asking him to hit 30 homers. So if he hits 12, it's not going to sink your season. He's probably going to hit at least 12. He's projected for like 16. That's what you want. You know, like you can do that with a 6% barrel rate. There's plenty of people who do that sort of stuff, you know? So that's kind of my argument with Corbin Carroll too. Like that's why maybe 40 is a bit high, but like you get into the fifties and sixties with Carroll and it's like, you get 15, you're 30. really just buying the 30 steals with more than zero homers, you know, like with, with double digit homers and where it goes yeah. in the double digits. You're not quite sure, but you're happy with it. Yeah, exactly. You can make two. Uh, the last one on this list, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to just burn through the names on the other one and, and see if there's a guy you like, and there's a good transition to it, is Jordan Walker. Jordan Walker shows up on this with a 99 overall. Yes, that is where we have moved. During this period of time, you'd be interested. He has an ADP of 151. 149 is the technical one on here. But um, either way, 150 will do the average is his ADP. But he had a high pick of 99 on draft champion since March 1st. And there's no guarantees, but people are starting to make their bets as you know Tyler O'Neill's moving to center. Jordan Walker has been really good, though he he'd suffered a little thing the other day. I think he's going to be fine. But um, what do you think about Jordan Walker pushing top 100? Because it's happening without him being affirmed the job, which I think is interesting. Yeah, it's pushing. It's pushing. I mean, I, they're all the signs point to he's getting the job. The fact that Tyler O'Neill's playing center field, the fact that they're playing him so often, the fact that they've sort of given him a position in the in the, in the spring, and that he's you know among the league the the, the team leaders and plate appearances. All these things are pointing to a kind of Julio Rodriguez ish like rise into the role, and just like he's going to break camp with the team kind of thing. That's I think all that stuff points in that direction, but. When you start getting into the top 100, you start pushing him ahead of some more known quantities. Um, you know, this isn't going to sound very sexy, but Taylor Ward is, you know, Taylor Ward is a, is a really good player. Like, to set the min pick on him is 102 in here, and it's set by Tanner Bell, smart fancy BB on Twitter. And that guy is smart as heck. And the projections love Taylor Ward. And it's just bankable. You know, you just know what you're going to get. And it doesn't include a high strikeout rate and a low batting average, which it's possible that even if Jordan Walker gets the job, he has a high strikeout rate and low batting average. There's nobody putting 60 hit tools on him. He's high swing strike rates in the minors. It's possible he's more of your sort of lower batting average, high strikeout rate slugger types. It's That's still in the range of possibilities. 100, you're taking him over Taylor Ward, Jake McCarthy, who I don't love, but Christian Yelich, Chris Bryant, uh, you know, Stephen Kwan. There's, there, are, there are some good players here that you're taking him over, and I'm not sure I would push him ahead of all those guys. Uh, the last thing in the transition to this is I made this list that wasn't just draft champions. It was all of it since March 1st. And these were players that were inside the top 100, who had a min pick inside the top 100, whose ADP was outside the top 130 and had positive change. So people can kind of follow that positive change with an inside the top 100, but ADP outside the 130. And our friend Jordan Walker was in there. Funny enough, his actual high pick, if you take out just draft champions, was 80 with an ADP of 134. Here are the other names. Chris Sale with a high pick of 73, ADP of 138. Brandon Drury, an 84 high. 
ADP of 181. Tyler Glass now was in there, had a, one of the biggest changes on this list besides Walker, had a high of 98 with an ADP of 160 from March 1st on. Matt Chapman, 98 with an ADP of 150, and Jorge Polanco, 99 with an ADP of 145. So again, these are players with ADPs outside the 130 that broke inside the top 100 and represented positive change from March 1st on. Is there a name on this list that stands out to you? We just talked about Walker. I think you might have been alluding to maybe Mr. Chris Sale a little bit earlier, who really has jumping up boards with a 73 min pick. Well, actually, uh, Tyler Glass now is the other uh, pitcher that okay. is uh, projected to have lower than a three ERA. And um, I, I, I think there was an overcorrection early, um, and he was dropping into the 200s, Tyler Glass now was, at which point you're like, well, it's not like the other guys are healthy down here. You know, it's not like I can bank from, you know, uh, 180 innings from, of great pitching from guys in the 180s, you know. Uh, so I got uh, Glass now at 198 in TGFBI. I think that was an overcorrection where, you know, uh, you know, I took him after Jameson Tyon, I think, you know, it's like, that's weird. You know, uh, Tyler Glass now is, you know, got some of the best stuff in the big leagues. So this, however, uh, the pendulum may be swinging too hard for me. I mean, I would never, I think, use a 98 pick on Tyler Glass now. That's sort of what I would have done before the injury, I think, maybe. Um, and so I, I don't know if I love him that much. I think the ADP of 160 is okay. That's around there, 160 to 200. I'd be, I'd be interested in taking a shot because you can hide him on your bench. The other idea um, that I think is interesting here is that Brandon Drury at 84, I think some people are overvaluing uh, multi-position eligibility. And I saw him go for a, a high number in, in AL labor. Um, and I get it that it's nice to like move guys around, uh, and, and, and have a backup plan. Uh, if this guy gets hurt, I'll just move jury over to third. I get that. But there are a lot of guys later on in the second base pool in particular that could do this for you for a lot cheaper. Uh, Tyro Estrada, uh, Luis Urias, uh, you know, in, in, in you know, behind, they go maybe around him, but they also offer their other options. So you don't have to pay that hard for Drury if those other guys yeah. are on the table. Josh Rojas gives you 2B, 3B. Uh, Luis Renjifo, I think, is going to play a fair amount for, for the Angels, and he's 2B, 3B. Brendan Donovan is pulling the ball in the air and adding maybe some power. That's the, the cardinal, you know, magic right now is pulling the ball in the air. They were number one in, in baseball last year. And pulled errors. So if Donovan adds that to his package, he's already a guy that that has great contact. So um, I wouldn't I wouldn't push through that high. You know, just a guy that old who put together a great season. No matter what, you're going to regress him off of that. And yeah. uh, so I think that's that that high pick is too much. I wonder what's going on with Chapman and Polanco. I think Polanco is. We just talked about this a little earlier. I think second base is a is a tough position. And Polanco uh, represents a bit of a shelf for me at the position where, uh, you know, he's a $13 player. Behind him, um, you've got Cattell Marte uh, in the auction category. It's 12 bucks, but that's a lot of injury. Jake Cronenworth has, uh, you know, some power risk, and he doesn't really give you steals. So, he's, you know, he might just be kind of a batting average with a little bit of each. And then beyond that, there's no, there's no double-digit second baseman. So Jorge Polanco might be one of those like, oh, this is this is the last like thirteen to fifteen dollar second baseman. Behind him, it gets uglier, you know. 
Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's it's an interesting look across the board from the craziest high mins in NFBC to some of the players that really stand out and uh, maybe a little draft prep in there. Some good stuff for you guys. Uh, that is going to do it for the episode. You know, I'm glad that you now no longer have to eat eggs out of bags or you can um, you can have a nice normal shower. And you also... You can just have a nice blanket tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can be warm tonight without having to. Yeah, pull like uh, uh, naked and afraid and have to like, you know, (laughs) sew together some towels and stuff like that. So it's good. Put the blanket in between the sheets to like make it it like a, the the, the towel in between the sheets to like make it like a blanket. It was. So if you need to know where not to go in Florida, (laughs) you know, we'll tell you, you know, we'll tell you. Uh, Make sure to check us out. Theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Go and subscribe today. $2 to get you set up. All of uh, Eno's great stuff there. And uh, really, there's there's no reason why not. It's a fantastic deal. And we'll be back tomorrow. Eno and I are going to be talking about prospect stuff. You can find Eno on Twitter, Eno Saris. Myself, as is it the Welsh. Until next time, friends, have a fantastic one. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening.